I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you're listening to Strongly Connected Components, episode 23, brought to you by acmescience.com. My guest on today's episode is Dinah Taimanya, author of Crocheting Adventures with Hyperbolic Planes and professor at Cornell University. Together we talk about how crochet can be used to model hyperbolic geometry, as well as the importance of just doing mathematics. Here we go! On today's episode of Strongly Connected Components, I have the author of Crocheting Adventures with Hyperbolic Planes and Professor of Mathematics at Cornell University, Dinah Taimanya. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for calling me. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. I, uh, this was actually a listener-suggested uh, interview. As, oh, that's very nice. Oh, yeah, it was. It's actually the uh, first time that uh, someone suggested it. I'm very glad that they did. Great. Uh, actually, the book which you mentioned uh, in your introduction, Crocheting Adventures with Hyperbolic Planes, it was voted um, by Booksellers Magazine in March to get a Diagram Prize, which is for the oddest title of 2009. And it was voted, I guess, by listeners, some of your listeners probably too. Well, I, I I certainly hope so. I was actually going to ask you about that. What was it What was it like uh, to be awarded with a prize for oddly titling a book? Oh well, that that fits very well with me because actually I'm an adjunct professor, which doesn't have a uh, doesn't have a salary unless I'm teaching, and I got a prize uh, for a for a book which is actually a. The prize is just a name. Actual prize is two bottles of wine, which goes to the guy who nominated that title. And um, so well, and uh, so well, then then there are some, you know, some other things that people are just asking me to do, and then they are expecting me to do everything, you know, for free. I thought it's it just fits together perfectly. Well, I'm very happy actually about that prize because it's my first prize. Well, I, I mean, congratulations winning it. I, I, I mean, of course, there are, there are technically more prestigious prizes, but I don't know if there's any prize more interesting than that. Oh, no, I'm, I'm very happy about this one, because, particularly because it was decided, you know, like it's not by somebody finding whatever it is, politically, scientifically, whatever, whatever correctly awarded prize, but this was just, you know, by fans voting for me. So therefore, I, I just really, I really treasure this. Well, uh, let's actually talk a little bit about uh, what that what that book is about. You are uh, actually very well known uh, for being the person who essentially invented hyperbolic crochet. Correct? Well, yeah. Well, that's kind of like a yes, no trademark. <laughs> 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 well, it, I mean, it's hyper hyperbolic planes uh, were generally thought to not be able to be modeled uh, in our world, uh, especially until I believe it was William Thurston created a paper model, but that, that model was not really uh, very sturdy. I, okay, I, well, so let me correct you, because that's a correction, um, that's a correction which almost goes with a book too. 
uh, fairly recently, three weeks ago. Now, I knew that the Beltrami had a model, and it's, it's already described in my book, too, that in 1868, oh. uh, Italian mathematician Beltrami made a model. But I had never seen his actual model. And it was about like, now it's about like months ago, I was contacted by one Italian mathematician who sent me pictures from the department in Padua University in Italy. And they sent me an actual photos of Beltrami models. And I was stunned how similar they are to the ones which I crocheted. And then I contacted Thurston too, and I asked him, and he, he never saw that one either. So, you know, like there are ideas, ideas you just discover them independently and in different ways. Well, okay. Uh, so uh, my information was, uh, was <laughs> oh, wrong yeah, on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you did end up uh, in, I believe it was 1997, uh, starting to crochet hyperbolic models. Uh, why did you uh, end up starting to do that? Yeah, well, so that's, that, that is something exactly, because the previous ones were out of paper, and... Um, once you are doing something in a paper then, and you try to explore it and you want to make a quick, you know, if you want to fold it and you want to fold yes. again. But the paper, you know, that's, that's what the same thing you do with a piece of paper. And that leaves creases and it's, you know, you won't get them out and, and, and paper, will, paper will fall apart. So I wanted to get something more durable that it would be reusable and uh, and also much more flexible and like really getting all these pictures. I wanted to show what happens in hyperbolic geometry to my students. And that's how I came up with crocheting. Because essential, so essentially, the paper is something which is two-dimensional, plane. it's a plane, it's a plane thing. Yeah, so it's something, you know, you can really do it. And so it means I can do these strips instead of, gluing strips i can crochet these strips and that's that turned out to be much much better choice now you've also been uh teaching a lot of geometry uh at least as far as i've been able to tell from reading through yes, that's uh, true. uh your say talk lists and everything like that uh what sort of change have you uh seen in the ability of, say, your students to be able to understand hyperbolic geometry now that they have models with which to actually play with the subject? Well, see, the mathematics is always based kind of like you have to do a lot of things imagining in your mind and kind of like get these insights and everything, which is, well, I agree, it's true, but it's not for everybody. And it's always much more... Um, helpful for learning about something and get new ideas if you can really do tactile exploration. And in many cases is that you are seeing these mathematicians talking about the great results, but you don't see their kitchen side of their research, which is actually making like wiggles and pictures and models and, you know, like kind of like, but once you are getting to the proof and, and, and writing in this mathematically precise language, then it seems so polished and so amazing, and maybe that is one of the things which scares people away from mathematics. They think, oh, I will never be able to think like that. And, uh, well, and that's what this crochet hyperbolic plane is kind of like an ease way to hyperbolic geometry uh, to the novice who never heard about it. And um, when you hear about it, like, without knowing, seems that is something so abstract and and, well, um, that one of the discoverers of hyperbolic geometry, Nikolai Lobachevsky, he calls this geometry imaginary geometry. And, like, you know, how much can you imagine 
you know, you can stretch your imaginations more or less, but not everybody can be so successful. But the approach just with this tactile approach, it really, it's easy to tell about hyperbolic geometry. You know, kids I have talked in fifth graders went to the school and they were just excited, particularly uh, they were just learned about uh, that the plane triangle, the angle, uh, some of the angles in a, <coughs> sorry, in a Euclidean plane, it always ends up to 180 degrees. And here I come with my planes. And uh, they fold it and then they find, oh, but these are triangles where it's not even close to 180 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so they were so excited. Oh, I, I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, the idea of uh, getting... Uh, fifth graders excited about hyperbolic geometry sounds wonderful, actually. Uh, now, one one thing I do uh, want to talk about is uh, hyperbolic hyperbolic planes take up a lot more. I I guess there's a lot more surface area in the space that they actually uh, take up. How much material do you actually go through to make some of your uh, crochets? Uh, actually, quite a lot. Is that the one? A big pink one, which is featured in uh, in a book. Uh, so that's that's my largest one. Its its surface area is 3.2 square meters. Uh, so well, for some reason, once it was um, in some emergency room where I happened to be, and when they are giving your 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 um, uh, papers when you are checking out, and you know, like they are discharging you. So then I found that for some uh, some reason, uh, some computer calculated that my surface area is 1.6 square meters. <laughs> so then that means like that plane is twice my surface area, but I can very snugly hug it. <laughs> so it seems like, so that, that shows just advantage of the hyperbolic plane, that you are getting a huge surface area, but then the volume is much less. So that's a, that's a, the hyperbolic plane with surface area twice as my one fits in less volume than I am. You are listening to Strongly Connected Components. The guest on today's episode is Dinah Taimania, author of Crocheting Adventures with Hyperbolic Planes and professor at Cornell University. Now, pretty soon I'm going to be taking a trip to the UK to take part in the Maths Jam Conference as well as give a few talks. But most exciting of all, I'm going to be doing a live recording of the Math Maths podcast with Peter Rowlett. You want to know a little bit more about this recording? Just listen to this clip. At 1 o'clock, November 17th, 2010, University of Greenwich, Queen Anne, 180. A fight that will go down in the mathematical ages. David Willits, who's um, science minister, said in a speech that what gets kids excited is um, dinosaurs in space. And this attracted a bit of attention on, on Twitter with David Willits and his space dinosaurs. Peter's on his way up, Samuel on his way down. I guess. I, I, don't, I don't know. You've been talking about the new Labour Party leader for like five minutes. I've kind of zoned out. If you're good at talking about math, it doesn't matter how long you've been in the game. Unless you're real old. Like 40. The only man to have ever been on three mathematical podcasts at one time. 
You are listening to Strongly Connected Components. Combinations and permutations. Math, maths, 5,136 miles of mathematics. The most prolific mathematical podcaster in history, Samuel Hansen, takes on the upstart mathematical maven. When you search about mathematics, you get an awful lot of odd stuff that's not necessarily relevant. The one that everyone expects to shatter all of his records, Peter Rowlett. People think Samuel has lost a step, but he has the experience and the skills. Peter stands no chance. From Gower's write-up, it did sound, it's not quite a bow tie, it's not quite a scarf. I'm not entirely sure what the name of that piece of neckwear is. (laughs) These two are the best I've ever seen. Both complete professionals, but it is clearly time for a changing of the guard. You've stopped talking (laughs) and I've stopped listening to you, sorry. Peter's on the rise, clearly gunning for that top spot. Can the grizzled veteran from the United States withstand the onslaught from the young English wrecking ball? This is a fight that's going to have to be seen to be believed. Be there at University of Greenwich, Queen Anne 180. 1 o'clock, November the 17th. No matter who comes out holding his hands high, you will want to be able to say you were there. This fight is going to be talked about forever. So if you have a chance to come by the University of Greenwich on November 17th, please make sure you do. I guarantee it's going to be a fantastic time. Now, let's get back to this interview. Now, uh, one thing that you have been doing uh, with these models is uh, putting on, uh, say, art exhibits. I believe that there was a coral reef one in England recently. Uh, that was in, so this year it was in Dublin. And actually, this coming Saturday, on October 16th, that is a hyperbolic crochet coral reef exhibit opens in Smithsonian. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that is an, organized by the Institute for Figuring, who picked up my idea, and they just uh, made this one into the huge environmental project. Now, with the exhibits of it that you have been to, what sort of reactions have you been uh, getting from the people who come to see the art? Well, I had an art exhibit in, um, in uh, Cambridge University, in Cambridge, UK. And uh, so well, there were some of my models were in this art exhibit, and uh, so, and these uh, these models were put were put on a they uh, were put on a shelves and like you know it's a gallery. People come in, they look at these models, and you know like they just look at this art exhibit and they behave like they would behave in uh, art gallery. And you know, of course, they don't know who am I, and I'm in a corner just watching. I just enjoy that. Once they approach my models and they're and there is like a two of them, you know, that they quickly say, like, oh, can you shave me? And then these are the models where they are just like drawn to touch them. <laughs> and I have, I have seen it repeating and repeating and repeating. So, you know, like that, it's, I don't mind people, people touching. Of course, you can't, you know, like if they are made out of wool, you don't want thousands of people touch it. It's just, it's hard to clean them. But it's, uh, it's a touching bone to destroy them. It's like when I'm making, there are some models, you know, like which are made out of cotton. I know I took them to one art exhibit, and I, when I arrived, they were just like very unfortunately. I said, oh, they are not really displayed. But then the curator, she was very carefully handling it as, you know, like as it's 
as I used to handle odd objects. And I said, no, 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 that's not the way to display them. <laughs> I picked it up, threw it up in the air, and I said, well, look, it will land naturally in the best form. And she was just like, ah! <laughs> and it landed, and it looked wonderful. <laughs> oh, that, that, is, that is a wonderful image. <laughs> uh, now, I want to go back a little bit uh, farther now. Uh, you got your... Uh, your PhD in, in mathematics, uh, and your dissertation was, I believe, Behavior Different Types of Automata and Turing Machines of Infinite Worlds? Words, not worlds. Oh, words. Okay, I don't, I don't know how I managed to write that down incorrectly. Yes, uh, but okay. I've, I've been making a lot of mistakes so far in this interview, so might as well just keep it up. Uh, and, and you also had uh, other theoretical computer science papers published before that, what sort of uh, connection do you feel that there is between theoretical computer science and algorithm study with this uh, kind of fiber art that you're doing? Is there any sort of connection there? Well, yes, uh, there is, because once I'm making these, these, these fiber, fiber uh, objects, uh, well, there is a certain algorithm that I'm following. You know, like that, that is a connection. But then there are, there are, there are, there are more connections, which I actually I found accidentally that there are... You know, since I have been out of a loop, maybe, you, you know, you can't follow everything what is happening yes. in computer science right now. But um, I found very interesting that there are computer scientists who are um, uh, investigating how automata and actually these, those are really imaginary machines, what they are talking about, how they, are, how they would behave on hyperbolic plane. And then <clears throat> there are really very nice uh, opportunities appear which wouldn't be possible in Euclidean plane, like on Euclidean grids. Uh, for, example, um, for example, I think that it's, it's, it's just a beauty that you can make a rectangular, when you are doing a rectangular grid, um, you, know, you get the ordinary square paper. Yes, so well, you are making this uh, rectangular grid or square grid on, hyper, on uh, Euclidean plane or sheet of paper. And you can make your um, cells smaller or larger or whatever. Yeah, so, you know, whatever size you need. But when you are trying to fold, and, and one of the things what you can make the grid is by folding paper. You fold the paper, you get a straight line, you fold it again to get it perpendicular. Yeah, so you follow me, you can imagine that. And, 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 and when you follow that and you open it up, then your folds will end, but you will definitely get a rectangular shape. Yeah, and there will be four sides. When you are doing the same construction in hyperbolic plane, and uh, so that smallest cell you can get with all angles, um, with all angles, nine, um, straight angles, all straight, straight angles, as a small, the smallest uh, polygon will be pentagon. You can't get a rect a square in hyperbolic plane, meaning that all will be just like a straight angles. And you can get a hexagon and you can get a septagon, but for particular hyperbolic plane, um, so this is unique. You can't make that pentagon larger or smaller, keeping the size of angles. Once you fix the angles, that is really fixing also the size of that pentagon. And that is a property which can be, um, you know, like this is something you can really explore folding these crocheted hyperbolic planes and making a different, you know, stitching just all these different patterns on them. 
And so, and then when you go to computer science, this uniqueness is something which is very powerful investigating these imaginary automata or, you know, like whatever machines are being uh, investigated in uh, theoretical computer science and their behavior. Uh, in a uh, Discover article that was about uh, your work with the hyperbolic planes, uh, there was a bit in there about uh, the influences that you had uh, learning in uh, your home country of Latvia under the Soviet-style math education. There was a, a quote that was, uh, you started with the picture, you figured out what is happening, and then you prove. Uh, how was yeah. that sort of... Uh, educational style like influential on what you ended up doing versus say the more strict analytical rigor that is uh, prevalent in uh, say the US math education system well see, I, th- I think that exactly influenced me to think about how I can make a durable model so that uh, students first can see what they are doing you know, like how they are, they can see. And, and it's, not only, it's not only unique, because I have seen, like, um, in India, I don't know the current Indian mathematics, what they are doing, but I have, I have, I have seen, like, at the beginning of the 20th century, there is a, there is a book, like, about the geometry and uh, teaching geometry by paper folding. So in some ways, it's the same, I'm doing the same thing. And, uh, and, and, and when I came and I have seen there are some teachers who are teaching here in U.S. too. They are teaching geometry, the beginnings of geometry, just folding a paper. And I think it's very, it's, it's very powerful. You just see how it forms and it gives you, um, well, you can, you can investigate later how it is theoretically and how you can build up this logical proof. And that's, you know, it means like you are, what you are seeing, that writing down the proof, then it means like you just translate it to the appropriate language. It's like interpretation. You know, you learn one thing in one language, and now you want to explain somebody else in some different language, you know, who is speaking a native language, something different. And there is something, you know, something can be lost in translation. But if you are having this picture, which is, it's universal. Both of the speakers of this, you know, like even we are speaking different languages, but this picture is universal. Look. Now, uh, you spent the first, 30-so years of your teaching career, teaching uh, in your home country, I, I was uh, wondering what you feel the uh, main differences sort of in the uh, math education are between the U.S. and Latvia. Um, well, yes, my children went through U.S. education system. I, I really I felt a change. Um, so one thing is that... Um, uh, according um, the mathematics, there was like it was like a great surprise for me this um, this issue women in mathematics because I, I I was never aware about that really before I came here you know like that that would be something special in school mathematics or something um, well we were you know we were just like equal and um, no it it just never came up to me. You know, like it wasn't nothing this gender issue, which is like something new. But coming in this country, there was like a I had a I had like uh, with my own girls, the math teacher calls me up and says, "Well, you know, you have a girl, and and we all know that girls don't have an appetite in mathematics, and they're really, and maybe I can find you know help you to find a tutor for her." And I was just like absolutely, you know, stunned. And I said, "Do you know to whom you are talking to?" <laughs> 
and as and 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 he continues, and that's you must teach your man, and and he continues, and he says to me, oh yeah, yeah, well, but you are a parent. Well, that doesn't, you know, yes, you might teach mathematics, but you know, you are a parent, and you see your children uh, from the parent's perspective, and then you can be objective. I said, excuse me, if you are having trouble with teaching, maybe you should make an appointment with me, and I can help you with something. Well, it was last time we talked, of course. <laughs> So it's uh, yes, well it's 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 you know it's just an attitude like kind of like a well that 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 would be a one thing, and then the other thing is, um, uh, maybe I'm like I don't know maybe I'm a heretic in in, in this side like there is I think there is too um, what I have noticed is too much talking about talking about mathematics instead of doing mathematics. So that 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 is a difference which I would like say that shortly, what I'm not, noticing, you know, like let's talk about it. No, don't talk about it. Do it and see what happens. It, fair enough. I I definitely I definitely see us having that that as an issue. I I myself I very much spend most of my time talking about mathematics instead of actually doing any of it. Well, it doesn't it doesn't apply to your podcast. That, 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 <laughs> No, see, no, 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 that's, that's a difference. I want to make it clear. It's, it's good to talk, you know, like to talk about mathematics, but outside the math lesson, in math class, you know, that's where you are doing it. Oh, okay. That's what I mean. <laughs> uh, now, one other, one other area of research that you uh, do and whether it's type of paper that you write is a history of mathematics papers. And I... I recently took a history of mathematics course. Sadly, I was I was not as impressed with it as I was hoping to be because I personally am very interested in the history of mathematics. Uh, what what brought up your interest in the history of mathematics? Something that generally is not uh, too much studied, other than say results. Um, so I started to teach mathematics um, very accidentally because I never had history of math class uh, myself when I was an, a student there wasn't such course offered at all in the university and um, well I first became the teacher in the middle school and high school and I was um, yeah if you if you see in my read I started to teach in a school while I still was a student and of course as a new new teacher you are getting the classes nobody else wants to teach that's just the rule and uh, so well but then I noticed that once I started to tell them you know, stories about mathematicians. I was just like trying to tell them, well, okay, we are talking, you know, like about something. But those were the people who came up with these results, and I was just like starting to read. And I, I found a wonderful book, which was kind of like a, almost like a story book. And 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 it's um, so that Bell, Man of Mathematics, that was a, I, that was also one of the books I found. And I was just like this. These stories, and I started, and, and suddenly this class, which never wanted really to learn mathematics, now they are quiet, and they are listening to me. And uh, so the biggest, the biggest surprise for me was that there was a guy whom I thought that he didn't care about mathematics and me at all. And in a fall, sometimes around October, I was telling them story about Archimedes, and how Romans killed Archimedes while he was drawing his geometric figures in, in sand. And it was in May, suddenly this guy, you know, like in the spring, he comes up to me and he says, you know, I still keep thinking about those Romans. How could they possibly kill such a genius? You know, I was, I was like, my jaw went open. I thought, this guy, he's still 
he still remembers what I was telling him in October. So, you know, like, and that convinced me how important it is to talk about history of mathematics and about the human side of mathematics with your students. So next year, I started to, to teach in university, and then we had a department meeting, and and since I was a, you know, like I was a newcomer to the department, they were asking me, uh, what would I propose as a new courses, you know, like what would, should new courses would be offered? And I said, oh, well, definitely history of math. And, and I said, well, because it's so important, and since we are teaching prospective teachers, they should know about history of math, and that would be like so good for students. He looked at me, the chair of the department looked at me, he said, okay, then take it and <laughs> teach it. And then uh, after that after that meeting, one um, you know like more mature colleague she came she came up to me and she said, "Well, you have to be old or old and senile to or young and crazy to teach such a course." Well, I didn't realize what she meant, but when I started to prepare the classes, so then I did realize what it means. It's a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of reading and getting out and really thinking, and you know it takes a lot of time, but it's. I was really happy I did it. Hey, well, Diana uh, Timonia, thank you so much for giving me this time to be on Strongly Connected Components. Okay, so thank you for having me, and like, and good luck and success in your work. Thank you very much. That is all there is for another episode of Strongly Connected Components. Want to leave me any feedback? Just send me an email, samuel at acmescience.com. AcmeScience.com is, of course, we can find out more information about our guest on this week's episode, as well as a few links to where you can find out more information about that UK trip that I teased halfway through the podcast. The music on this episode was from SP12 and Hard and Firm. This show, like all of our shows, is a Creative Commons licensed podcast, attribution share alike to be specific, so please feel free to mix up all of our voices but then just make sure you know to give us credit and then share it the same way that we shared this audio with you i would like to make one request of all of you though if you like this show tell your friends tell other people who are interested in math in science in interviews just tell all of your friends and if you use itunes to get this please go to the iTunes store and leave us a review, just like our listeners Andre F. and Jeff Heck Williams did. Thank both of you very much for leaving us a review. These reviews really help us get noticed more in the iTunes store and can bring in more listeners to the show. Finally, I want to thank Laura, Doug, Jenny, Dan, Rob, and Adam for recording short audio bits for that Math Maths promo clip that I played in this episode. You guys are awesome. It was really great of you to help me out when I was in a bind there. So I want to thank you all for listening, and I hope you tune in to the next episode.